Father, if ever we love Thee, it is now, as we're reminded of Your grace and Your mercy and Your unconditional love to us. We thank You for the eternal gift of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, that we are today as believers righteous in righteous standing before God because of you and your atonement for us. We're thankful that you took our place on the cross, that you became our substitute. We're well aware that it should have been us who hung on the cross. And so this morning we express our gratitude and praise that not only did you die for us, providing a relationship back to God through Jesus, but also you have saved us from eternal damnation, eternal hell. We thank you and we praise you, Father. We thank you for the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit that lives in us to be our guide and our teacher and our comforter and our helper. And today we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would fill us, that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, that we would be taught by the Spirit of God, we pray that Jesus is exalted. We pray that God is glorified. We pray and praise you for the scriptures that we are about to hold in our hands and read. And we acknowledge that these are indeed the very words of God inspired by the Holy Spirit to us. They are inerrant. They are infallible. They will stand forever. They are true. Every word of it is true. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through it. Thank you so much for your love for us. And, Lord, we pray that you would have just free reign in our hearts over the next 30, 40, or however minutes you would have us to be here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Why don't you just reach around and grab your Bibles, and if you're able to remain standing. We're in Mark chapter 4. There is a sermon guide in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along and take notes. And for those of you that this is your first time with us in a few weeks, this is a part two sermon that we are in covering verses 1 through 20 of Mark chapter 4 as Jesus begins his parable teaching ministry. We covered all of it last week I want us to look, well, just for sake of time, begin reading the actual application of the parable in verse number 9 today and read down through verse 20. And he, speaking of Jesus, said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they were about him with the twelve, asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, that hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? And then he begins to explain, The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside wherein the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they had heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. You may, you may be seated. Before we jump into this, I want you to celebrate with me. I just found out during the fellowship time, shared with me. I love this brother. Often he comes in and prays with me before the service, and uh, he was just sharing with me that this weekend 
He is 15 years sober, and we praise the Lord for that and God's work in his life. God can change everything, can he? His grace is so amazing. Jesus, as I mentioned, he has begun to teach in parables in his teaching ministry. And as we mentioned last week, a parable is simply an earthly story with an eternal meaning. In other words, Jesus takes an earthly situation and he parallels it. He lays it beside a spiritual Truth, And he explains why he is beginning to use this format of teaching. There was two things we talked about in, in depth last week. First of all, he begins teaching in parables to reveal truth. And then he teaches in parables to conceal truth. And we see this in verses 11 and 12. Look at it again. Unto you, speaking to the small group, his disciples, and those that stayed around after the crowds had left, he said, unto you it is given to know the mystery Of the kingdom of God. But then he also says that he is teaching in parables to not only reveal truth, but to conceal truth, verse 11 and 12. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Those who had already come to a conclusion that they were not going to accept Jesus as the Messiah. So Jesus says to them, on the one hand, To those who believe in me, these parables, they are a revelation of grace to make spiritual truth clear unto you. But on the other hand, to those who do not believe, it was an act of judgment as the truth was concealed. Their rejection of the Messiah is the cause of their blindness. And so he begins to go on to explain this parable. And again, the key is found in verse number nine. Notice he says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Are you listening? And he says in verse number four, hearken, listen to this carefully. Are you listening to me, listening to what I have to say? He's talking about sowing and reaping. And he says there are three things that determine the crop. We looked at the first two things last week, and we'll just review them briefly this morning and then spend the rest of the time on the third point. First of all, we looked at the seed, which Jesus says very clearly in verse number 14, the sower sows the word. So the seed is what? The word. Say that the seed is the word. It's the word of God. It is the gospel of God. And we talked about last week that the power is not in our personality. It is not in our persuasiveness. It is not in our position. The power is in the supernatural seed of God's word. And how many of you know there is great power in that seed? There is supernatural power in that seed. It has the ability then to convert people, to change people's lives. The Bible says we are born again by the word of truth. We are given eternal life by the word of God. And so as we recognize the supernatural power is the, is the seed, then as Christians, we understand this, that we are to plant the seed of God's word everywhere we go. We're not to be soil engineers inspecting all the seed. We will we'll reject it. Nevertheless, our responsibility is not to be, quote unquote, successful, but our responsibility is to be faithful. Faithful to sow the seed. And then we looked at the sower. The seed is the word of God. Who are the sowers? Well, first of all, the original sower was Jesus. And then he has given this responsibility to us. Again, we mentioned the seed has great power to do supernatural things. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It's all supernatural. It's all beyond what that soil soil could, could manufacture on its own. But what good is the seed if it's in the what? Barn. What good is the seed if it's in the barn? We have to get the seed out of the barn. And we all are called to be sowers of the seed. This is the mission of the church, is it not? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to some. To every creature. To everyone. You can't sow it 
in the wrong place. You may look and say, I don't believe this person's going to accept the, the seed. That's not your job. Your job is to sow it everywhere you go. So we see the seed, we see the sower. Today we're going to look at the soil. And the soils are at the heart of this parable. The seed and the sower are pretty cut and dry. All Christians are to sow the seed of God's Word. But the soil, as we will see today, is the condition of the heart. The parallel passage to this in Matthew chapter 13 refers to the seed going into the soil as the gospel being sown into a heart. And everybody would have understood this physical aspect of this story. This is around the Sea of Galilee. As far as you can see, there are fields. And the story is very simple. They all knew, knew that, all, that, that all the seed that was sown was not going to be productive. They had walked on stony ground. They had walked on hard ground before, rocky ground, weedy ground. They also knew what good ground looked like. So in that sense, it was a very, very simple story about a very, very familiar thing to them. However, the last statement that Jesus would make in this application was the wow factor of the story because what he describes in the last phrase is something supernatural. It's something that the soil would not be able to do on its own, and that is that it brings forth incredible fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. No planting ever had that kind of return. It wasn't ordinary. That was uncommon, and it would cause them to wonder, what is he talking about? On the one hand, the sower looks very unsuccessful, right, in the first three illustrations. Very unsuccessful. But in the good ground, the harvest is beyond comprehension. It's beyond expectation. So what's the point of the story? The story is designed to help us understand gospel evangelism. For those of you that are here this morning, it is to cause you to evaluate your own heart and pray that your heart would be tender and softened to the gospel. For those of us as believers, it is for us to understand our responsibility and for us to have a proper expectation of when we sow the seed that not everyone is going to accept it. But if we sow it long enough, that there will be fruit from it. If we continue to sow it and don't give up and go, don't get discouraged, it will bring forth fruit. This is a parable that is included not just in our text, but also Matthew 13 and in Luke 8. So it, it's so important that it needed to be repeated three times in the Gospels. Again, it's not our business to be successful. It's our, our business to be faithful. I want you to look at the four soils this morning and what they represent in this parable. First of all, the wayside soil or the roadside soil. This is representative of the hard heart. We see this in verse number 15. Look at it again. And these are they by the wayside or by the roadside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. God's word is a hard rock, hard as cement. And because of that, there is no penetration of the seed. And as I was reading this and thinking about it, I had to ask myself and think, what, what are the things that attribute to a hard heart? And I think we could spend a lot of times, a lot of time talking about that. There's a, a number of things that can contribute to a hard heart. Let me just mention a few of them that I have acknowledged in, in my short 45 years of life and 25 years of ministry that can easily harden someone's heart. The first thing that I thought about was close associates. The people that we choose to closely associate with can have great influence on hardening our hearts. Proverbs 11.30 says this, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be what? 
destroyed. Be careful. I've seen a lot of lost people. They are so hard to the gospel. They are so hard to the word of God. They want nothing to do with it, as we heard about this morning in Sunday school from a man who witnessed this week. They want nothing to do with it. And a great deal of it has to do with the close associations that they have made in their life. Those who mock God. Or the Pharisees who are so focused on religion and works that they are so influenced by that that their heart has become so hard to the truth of the gospel. In fact, when they hear songs about God's grace and God's mercy, it rubs them a little bit wrong because it's not about what He has done, it's about what I am doing. Listen, it is not about what you are doing, it is all about what He has done. It is all of grace. Close associates can either help soften or harden our hearts. By the way, this doesn't just apply to non-Christians, does it, Christians? Perhaps the second thing I thought about that I have seen hardened hearts is entertainment. I think close friends impact us, but I think entertainments condition us. I thought about when I went off to college. I went off to Bible college. I remember spending that year, Brother Steve, studying, and I did not have time. There were no televisions in our dorm rooms. I was focused on studying. I was focused on my grades. I was focused at that time on my relationship with the Lord. And I remember coming home that summer and being shocked when I turned on the television. Just from a year of being away. And I thought, my, how entertainment conditions us. The things we watch, the things we read, the places we go. Be careful about the close associations. Be careful about the entertainment. The third thing I thought about was our private thought life. Listen, we are in a spiritual warfare. There is a battle. If you're lost here this morning, there is a battle for your soul. And let me tell you where the battleground is. Right here. The target is clear, John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your eternal soul if you're not saved. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy this church. That is his obvious target. But make no mistake about it. The battleground is the mind, the hearts, the inner man. Be careful. Christian and non-Christian. You better guard your thought life. It can really lead to a hard heart. You might think just because the religious people in Mark 2, 3, and 4 were religious that they were the ones with the soft hearts. Oh no, they were the ones with the hardest of hearts. I believe that this is really targeted towards these. Those who had a hard heart apostate, unbelieving, God-hating, Christ-rejecting attitude towards God, primarily the religious leaders of Israel that he had just dealt with in the previous chapters. The sower is simply a sower. The seed is simply the powerful seed of God's Word. But the issue this morning is the heart. It is the soil. This may be the fool in Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1 who says that the fool doesn't take the truth. He will not receive the wisdom of God. It is like the people in Acts chapter 17 verse 32 when it says that they sneered at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today there are still many people hardened by religious tradition, unwilling to let go. And each day, listen, each day their hearts become more and more and more hardened to the gospel. 
They sit in church services week after week thinking about everything except for what God is doing in that service. And two minutes after the church service is over, they are completely thoughtless about what they have just experienced. If you go to another country where Christianity is replaced with other religions, you'll see this hard, even antagonistic towards Christianity and towards Jesus Christ. The roadside soil, it is full of activity, people coming, people going, but never stopping to acknowledge God. Listen, it's not the seed's fault. There's great power in the seed. It's not the sower's fault if they've gotten the seed out of the barn. It's the soil's fault. This is why the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15, says this. And please listen to this. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Would you say that with me? Today, If you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your hearts. Let me say this. If you're here this morning, maybe for the first time, or you've been coming over and over again, and your heart has been open and tender to the gospel, let me beg of you not to keep putting it off. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Open your heart. The second thing that we see is not only the wayside soil, the hard heart, but we see the stony soil, the impulsive heart. Look at verse 16. These are they, likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately immediately receive it with gladness or happiness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Let me make this clear. These are not those who were saved and were lost. You cannot be saved and lost. According to the Word of God, it's not by your works that you are saved, and it's not by your works that you are kept saved. But these are those, in the Scripture, we see it time and time again, they externally have attached themselves to Jesus Christ. And at first... They are responsive to the gospel. Maybe they sit in a service and, wow, this looks attractive. These people are happy and what he is telling me sounds really good. Maybe this will be good for my life. Maybe this will be good for my business. And they simply make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ without ever possessing Christ. They externally attack. They say, what are you talking about? Like Judas. If you and I were just common people on the street, we would think Judas was just one of them, right? He had externally attached himself to Jesus Christ, but he wasn't a believer. John 15 talks a great deal about this. These are those who may have had an emotional experience or they may simply give an intellectual assent to the truth. Listen, please, just because you give intellectual assent that there is a God, just because you give intellectual assent to Jesus Christ does not make you a follower of Jesus Christ. You must... Put your faith in Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. Turn from your sin and turn in repentance to Jesus Christ. It's an attitude heart, an attitude change, a heart change. It's a decision that you are making. You say, well, I believe in God. Listen, James tells us that even the devils believe in God. But they reject Him. This is why John wrote in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not 
of us. Listen, if you came to salvation because somebody else came to salvation, let me let me let me rephrase that. If you made a profession because someone else made a profession, if you made a profession in Christ because it might be good for your business or it might restore a relationship that was really struggling at the time or it would give you some good connections Here's what will happen, he explains. When trials or persecutions come, it will separate those who are true followers of Jesus Christ and those who are just professors of Christ. Listen, I am burdened as a pastor that our churches may be filled with people who have professed salvation but they do not possess Christ. There has never been a change in their heart and mind and life and heart. There is not a heart of repentance towards sin. They still love sin. The impulsive heart. The third thing, and I understand this is heavy, but it is the Word of God. And we must not skip over it. We must not. The third thing is the crowded heart, the thorny soil. Look at verse 18 and 19. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Notice this, verse 19. Wow. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word And it becomes unfruitful. The crowded heart, the things of the world, smother the growth of the seed and prevent a harvest. This is where Jesus, again, he is given, Brother Larry, he's given consideration, but he is turned down because of why? Because of temporary things. Because temporary things are more important than eternal things. And he gives three things here that hinder this person from coming to to faith in Christ. Worry, wealth, and wants. Each hindrance focuses attention on this world, this temporary world, and it disregards eternity. It allows temporary thinking to supersede eternal thinking. And these things, like the thorns, they come and choke out the good seed. Notice these phrases in verse number 19. The cares of the world. A thousand cares strive to occupy our minds, don't they? The enemy and the world and our flesh, they strive to fill our hearts with anxiousness, with worry, with fret. Worry is a daily ingredient in many lives. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. Wealth like worry focuses our attention on the world. And it produces independence and self-sufficiency. And the gospel in contrast is a call to sacrifice. It's a call to give. It is an un paralleling to many today as it was to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 who saw all of his stuff and said, I need to build bigger barns to hold all this stuff. And Jesus tells him, what good is all this stuff? Tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. Your wealth will not do you any good in eternity. The lust of other things. We live in a generation that cries, give, give. This is the covetousness of that which God has not given us. And for many, it it becomes the thing that chokes out the gospel. This is, again, the person who wants salvation. They want Christ. They want the kingdom and all the benefits of it. But they also want other things. A double-minded man. 
He wants to serve God and money. And guess what? Jesus said, you can't serve them both. There's only one Lord. The gospel of Jesus explained in the scriptures doesn't say that it will give you more of the world. It will give you riches. It will give you every other thing that you desire. Listen, if you just come to faith in Christ, you will have it all. You will have a new house, a new car. You will, you will be worry-free. No, the Bible doesn't promise that in salvation. The gospel says this. If you look back and, and put your faith in the world's things, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. You can't serve God in money. Jesus said, in fact, you will need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. By the way, again, even though the general application of this text is to soils of the heart of lost people where the gospel is planted, you and I both know as Christians that this one applies to us too, doesn't it? That if we're not careful and we are not being filled and led and directed by the Holy Spirit of God on a daily basis, that our life can be weighed down with worry, a a consuming of wealth, and the wants of this world. And if we're not careful, listen, Christian, it will choke out every desire in our heart for God's word, for prayer, for times of gathering with the people of God. Listen, I'm not, I'm not picking on us this morning, but I'm just stating the reality. And I'm not even talking necessarily about our church, although I think there's room for improvement. Although I think it's easy in your leader's life for these things to sneak in, begin to overtake our life. But some of you that are in business world, this is what you say. The statistics don't what? They don't lie. Well, guess what? In the spiritual world, they don't lie either. And the truth is that in the 70s and 80s, and that's as far back as, actually, I can't remember the 70s. Very little of the 80s. During times of refreshing and revival and God working in hearts and awareness of God, you couldn't keep the people away. And yet today we live in a society, and even in our own church, where tonight there will be 40 to 50% back together. This week we'll have a prayer meeting. 4 to 5% of our congregation will attend. And I know everybody can't. I know everybody's lives are different. But but I'm convinced we're not saying revival because we're not desperate for revival. And we're not desperate for God's presence. Well, you say, boy, this has been a depressing message. What's for lunch? No. This is the good part. And the encouraging part. Aren't you thankful for the good ground? Aren't you thankful for the encouragement that the good good ground brings to the Christian? And aren't you thankful for hearts and souls that are still receptive to the gospel? And we have seen this around here a good bit in the last year. And it refreshes our hearts. We've seen it this last week. Verse 20, these are they which are sown on good ground. Such as hear the word, receive it, bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. It hears the word of God. It heeds the word of God. It holds the word in the heart and mixed with faith. It produces, it germinates, it takes hold. And Satan cannot snatch it away. It takes root and something supernatural begins to happen in regards to what it produces. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 explains to us, if any man is in Christ, 
He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's a different attitude. It's a new heart. It's a new attitude. It's a new outlook on life. It's a new outlook on eternity. Miss Cindy Dean is a perfect picture of this, isn't she? Sitting up here smiling and laughing on the second. You know why? Her eternity has changed. She grew up. The Bible is very clear about this. Galatians 5 verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, this isn't an exclusive list. There's more. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, these are the continual fruits of those that don't know Christ. When you look at their life, this is what you see. But notice, but the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, if you are a child of God, if the Spirit of God lives in you, then listen, Christian, you won't be perfect, but you will see these things popping up in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The other three soils produce no fruit. Belonging to those who never did and believed. But to those who are truly connected to the vine, as Jesus explains in John 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, there will be fruit. Listen, you can't be attached to the vine and not produce fruit. You can't. Now, he says here, some will produce 30, some 60, some 100, but all supernaturally beyond what the soil can do. Doesn't the Bible say somewhere, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase? It's not up to you and I. Whether we produce 30 souls that come to faith in Christ, 60, 100, full. A lot of them, our job is simply to plant and to water. Look at verse 26 and 27 of this same chapter. It reminds us this. He said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. He just planted and watered. He had no idea what God was doing. Let me tell you something. You and I are going to get to heaven one day, and we are going to be amazed at possibly how one seed planted produced a hundredfold. Wow, I had no idea. I had no idea. That that one seed was going to produce so much. I I know what time it is. But I want to show you a video. I think it's important for us. It's the second part of a video we showed several weeks ago about Malachi. A boy who, who took our theme for this year very serious. So we're talking about sowing and planting seeds. I think it's important for us to understand our responsibility. I want to take just a few moments and listen to the rest of Malachi's story this morning. Malachi, I mean, there's a video of him walking behind you in the field of flowers. Mm-hmm. And he just says, I love God. I love God. I'm glad. And so it was always on his mind. His mind and his heart was just always in another place. I don't. It was just that was that was years before cancer. But um, that's kind of when it all began. As an adult, it's convicting to watch your 11 year old who hair is disappearing, 
He, he can't get up and walk. He, he can't do so much for himself, but he's choosing to get up and find some joy somewhere. It was very convict. It was very convicting for me. He was in the hospital for 45 days. Yeah. Um, FaceTimed his classmates. And he missed, he really missed his friends. With the beginning of school in mid-August, um, there was already a talk of um, Malachi not doing well, uh, for especially for his classmates, and that and that was last year's seventh grade class. They were uh, following him as he goes to Atlanta and back for treatments, and um, hearing of his um, strength and um, his friends, and not even his closest friends, but the entire school is watching this boy. Um, call down adults about their own salvation. Well, see, all these students are seeing that. He knew what was going on in his body. He knew everything that was happening. And he just, he just literally went through the list of people that he knew that needed Jesus. And I, I'm just going to write them down. I'm going to fight for them. The, the day of, of his passing, classes stopped. Students who had seen all that and had seen him fighting, just fighting, um, not only for, for life, but for, for the gospel. They're all gathered in this little grassy area right outside these doors on the end here. Um, and our headmaster called me and said, hey, I think you need to go be with the middle school. Walking down the hallway from the other end of the high school, my prayer was um, just help me have the words to to um, push these kids forward and to help them to see that uh, what Malachi did. And so I walked out into these doors, out into the and there there's students out there and they're um, some of his closest friends and um, they're just sad. And uh, I don't know how long we were out there, um, but we just we just kept praying. Um, and asking God to allow us to um, take Malachi's legacy and his message that you saw him. I said, build on that. Well, God knew this timing of, of um, Malachi's passing and the, and the tenderization of hearts in, the, in our school of adults and children. And, and, and our, our annual um, refresh conference, our Bible conference at our church would be the next week. And um, to say that God had tenderized hearts for his plans and his purposes, I think, would be an understatement. It was miraculous because it spread like a wildfire. Multiple students in the ninth grade, multiple students in the senior class uh, were receiving Christ. You know, and um, I see their faces. And it was so special because it was them, you know, it was their heart. There was no high pressure pitch. You know, it was just God moving and blowing his breath through this place. And um, one, of, one of the seniors before this year had a list of 10 um, friends that she wanted to um, pray for. And um, that they would be saved. And uh, she brought that to a teacher and she said, Look, we're checking them off. And uh, well, somebody said, How do we, how, do, how can we record this? How do we know what to do? And so one of our math teachers on the other hall said, let's put it on my board. And so they started writing, started, started writing a list of students every time a name. And who, who else? Who else? You know, they start. Then there would be a celebration and then there would be a race, a race to the board to, to, to write a name. up. By Friday. There were over 100 names on that board of people who had made decisions for Christ. For every student that I've taught over the last two years, it's been. Do you realize what Christ and what your Father in Heaven has done for you? And Malachi 
realized what had been done for him. And he felt like maybe I just have a short time. If you give me more time, I'll do this more. But I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to throw everything else to the side and I'm going to make sure everybody that I come in contact with hears this. So these students who had seen all that, and they, I mean, you could just see them just stand up and then talking to each other and encouraging each other. Hey, I mean, we can be bold today. For every person who's going to walk on this planet, like death is inevitable. For him, though, he had kind of a timeline. And for those people who think the one isn't important, if my son had not accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, our story, September 10th, well, when, yeah. there's no celebration. Mm -hmm. And when you look back, is it a sister? Is it a brother? Is it your son? Is it your, your daughter? Is it your spouse? Like, I didn't expect it to be this way, but I mean, one matters. Like one person like matters. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I wonder if you just need to come to an altar this morning. Maybe a Christian right now. God spoke into your heart. I'm going to waste a lot of time. but I wonder if you just come to this altar and pray for someone God's put on your heart. Maybe you've stopped praying for them. You've stopped interceding for them. Don't you just slip out, Christian, and find a place. Maybe you have a lost son or daughter or grandchild. Why don't you slip out and find a place of prayer? Why don't you ask God, come find a place, ask God for a burden. The burden that once you had to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. If your heart is cold, if your heart is callous, Christian, if your heart has been taken over by the cares, by worry, by wealth, you've been chasing the wrong things, why don't you come find a place of confession and repentance? There's nothing more important than God doing His work in our hearts and lives. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, your heart is about to jump out of your chest this morning because you know that there was a time where you made a profession, but it was not real. And there has been no desire for God, for His Word. You've simply gone through the motions. You've attached yourself externally, but there's never been an internal change in your life. I won't embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up? Let me do that. Do you raise your hand? That's me. That's me. Maybe you're here this morning and you have put your faith and trust in religion, your works. But like many in the last year, you've realized religion can't get you to heaven. Religion won't save you. That you need faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from your faith in religion. Anyone here this morning, raise your hand. That's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Father, 
Thank you for the Spirit of God working in hearts today. One thing we are, we are sure of, your word does not return void. And God, I pray if there is people here today or they're watching who don't know you, they've never put their faith and trust in you, your death, your resurrection, they've never turned from their sin, put their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they do that. I pray that they won't leave today. Pray that you won't leave them alone. God, forgive us as your children. Forgive me, God. Forgive me for allowing other things. Forgive me for envy. Forgive me for jealousy. Forgive me for pride. Forgive me for trying to evaluate the soils rather than just sowing the seed. Forgive me for my Phariseeism, judgmental attitude. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts that we would be completely clean before you. That our priorities would align with your priorities. That we would seek first your kingdom. We do desire to see you do something. We do desire your presence. We do desire to see people come to faith in you. But we understand it begins with us begins with us humbling ourselves before you and confessing and repenting of sin and seeking you more than anything else. Help us to return to the first works, the prayer, the time in your word, the gathering of saints fellowship the witnessing the things we've gotten away from draw us close to you thank you Lord for your promise that if we will draw nigh to you you will draw nigh to us and Lord we pray that you would continue your work in our hearts Not only work in us, but we pray, Lord, that you would work through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.